Let's welcome all our campuses today. What's up, guys? Great to see you guys, Church Online. Hey, you made it to the last week of August, and you should know we are in our final trimester. Uh, in two weeks, we're having a baby, church. We are giving birth to our Monmouth County campus. Let's hear it for Pastor Chris, Judy, and team. We're so proud of you guys. Monmouth County uh, is launching. This is campus number seven uh, along the Jersey Shore, and we're very, very excited. Uh, we just had our last night of Saturday services down in Ocean Grove. We had an amazing summer down there, eight weeks in a row, just kind of building up a very core, uh, a strong core launch team. And uh, you need to know, be praying for this, on Sunday, September 8th, so that's in two weeks, we're going to have our grand opening at our new location in Ocean Township High School. It's about 15 minutes from Ocean Grove, and uh, so please be saying a prayer uh, as we uh, saturate the South Jersey with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, today we're in our summer series at the movies in which we're kind of uncovering the spiritual truth behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits, and today we're going to look at the romantic drama, A Star is Born. Quick show of hands, who has seen this movie? Just quick show of hands. Wow, oh my goodness, that's, that's a lot of people. You know, it was rated R. That's why the other people didn't raise their hand. They're judging you right now. It's kind of, <laughs> no, I just, uh, it's funny. It's actually not an original story. It's the third remake. The original film was 1937, starring Gary Cooper. They remade it, I think, in 1976 as a musical with Barbara Streisand. But catch you up, it's about this hard-drinking musician played by Bradley Cooper, who discovers and falls in love with a young singer played by Lady Gaga. And I will admit, I'll just be honest, I was a little skeptical uh, at first. I'm not a huge Gaga fan. Uh, but, you know, it was date night. My wife picked it, and so I was like, all right, I'll go. Wow. I mean, it was a powerhouse performance by both uh, Cooper and Gaga. It's kind of an emotional roller coaster of a film, okay? Not for the faint of heart, because it addresses really heavy subjects like drug abuse, uh, alcoholism, addiction, suicide even. And so parents, I just want to give you a heads up here. I am not endorsing this film, so don't write me the emails, okay? I know some of you have like with this series have been like watching the movies with your kids, like Toy Story and everything. I am not recommending A Star is Born for Family Movie Night, okay? I just want to be clear about this. In fact, if you have young children under the age of 12, you may want to take advantage of, uh, of Liquid Family, of great programming there, because today we're going to talk very candidly about addiction. The Bible talks actually uh, very um, honestly and openly about the causes, but not just the consequences, the cure for addiction. And with that disclaimer, let's sit back. We're going to watch the trailer for A Star is Born, and then we will open our Bibles. Check it out. <laughs> 
Maybe it's time to let the old ways down Maybe it's time to let the old ways down Takes a lot to change, man Hell, it takes a lot to try You know, man, in the old days, I always knew, like, you were going to do something, that you'd be all right. It's the first time I'm worried about you. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. Hey. What? I just want to take another look at you. In all the good times, I find myself longing for change. Here's what we're going to do. You come sing that song that I love. No, I can't do that. Here, come on, here we go. Look at me. All you gotta do is trust me. That's all you save that for later. Okay, all right. That song is serious ear candy. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, just catch you up. Bradley Cooper plays Jackson Maine. Uh, he's kind of a, you know, old school kind of rock uh, star who plays guitar, but he has two problems. He is aging, he's getting older, and he's an alcoholic. He increasingly relies on booze and pills and prescription drugs just to make it through the day. So understand, his star is fading until he meets and falls in love with this young singer named Allie, played by Lady Gaga, with no makeup. It's pretty amazing. And she's kind of in this dead-end job, and she's about to give up on her dream of becoming a professional singer until Jackson kind of coaxes her into the spotlight and a star is born. You get it? So his star's going up, uh, or, or his, his is going uh, down, I should say. Hers is going up. So they're like star-crossed lovers. I think you get it. So here's the interesting part of the plot. As Allie's career takes off, their relationship starts breaking down because of Jackson's addiction to alcohol. Although he is kind, he is charming, P.S., many addicts are, he has these internal demons that he can't just seem to shake. Now, A Star is Born was nominated for eight Academy Awards, which is saying something. I think mainly for its very emotionally honest, very raw portrayal of addiction and its tragic effect on relationships. So what I want to do is I want to open the Bible and see what hope God gives to those who are struggling with addiction 
or uh, many of us have a loved one maybe who struggles. It could be, you know, alcohol, could be drugs, could be pornography, food, gambling, whatever it is, even shopping. The, the truth is, let me tell you where I'm coming from. I actually believe we're all addicts in one way or another, you know? Like we all have like some area of our life, we wanna stop doing something that is self-destructive, but we like just can't seem to make the change. Anybody have that? It's like, like why is that? If you've ever felt that way, like I do something that I know hurts me, hurts other people, but I, don't, I can't stop, you're not alone. The Apostle Paul actually wrote about this exact issue in the book of Romans chapter 7. So I want to read this Romans 7, see if you can relate to this. Now this is the, keep in mind, this is the Apostle Paul writing. So this is the greatest, outside of Jesus Christ, this is the greatest Christian who ever lived, okay? Here's what Paul wrote in Romans 7 verse 15. Here's what he writes, ready? I don't understand what I'm doing, man. <laughs> like, I, I just don't get it, okay? I don't understand what I do. For, for what I want to do, I don't do that. But what I hate, that's the stuff I do, okay? Be honest. Can anyone relate to this, okay? Like, you've done something, you're just like, what the heck? Why, what is wrong with me? Why would I do that? You know, you're like, you come home from work or the gym, and you're like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, watch a quick program. You know what would be nice right now? Just a spoonful of Haagen-Dazs. That would be nice. And you, get, and you get it, and then like, you know, and at 90 minutes later, the pint's just sitting on the floor empty. You're like, you're just, any ice cream addicts in the house? Can we start there? Ice cream addicts? Okay, cool. I'm, I'm like a, I'm not a sweets guy. I'm a saver. One time, I remember, I remember eating this whole bag of Doritos, and I'm like, I hate Doritos, and now I hate me, myself, you know, it's like, I don't understand it. Why do I do something that I know isn't healthy, but, uh, you know, it's like, well, Paul, I'm joking here, but the Bible is super honest about these fleshly appetites, these compulsions that we all have. What Paul is talking about here in Romans 7 is the kind of self-destructive behavior we can all relate to, because we, we all have some area in our life that we know what we're doing isn't good for us, but we do it anyway. And Paul's confused. He says, I, I don't understand what I do. Verse 18, he says, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. I do not do the good stuff I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that's the stuff I keep on doing. <laughs> this is the greatest Christian of all time, and he's conflicted. He actually almost sounds defeated. He says, I don't really understand it, but um, has anybody here ever tried to quit, like, you know, something that was kind of addictive? Like, maybe you tried to quit smoking, okay? If you've ever tried to quit, like, you know, tobacco or, or nicotine, you know, and you know, you're like, I know it's bad for me. I want to be healthy, and you make a resolution. Uh, I'm going to quit this year. Next thing you know, you're back to puffing or vaping. You're just like, I can't kick the habit. Now, it could be, it could be smoke, could be drinking. I've had people say to me, you know, Tim, I, I, didn't, I didn't start out here. I used to have a beer on the weekend or a glass of wine, but then it's like work was stressful, and then all of a sudden I was like, I had a, you know, a glass of wine after work, and then suddenly it's two glasses, and then it's three glasses, and then it was like, you know, the whole, I'm drinking, I know this is not good for me, but I can't quit. It's just how I function daily. It's how I, I depend on it. It is a habit I can't kick. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. Here's a principle. Now let's read this together out loud, church. Here we go. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Basically, Paul's like, I got an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the left. <laughs> on my right side, it's like the angel's telling me that what I want to do, and on the left is temptation. This is like this tug of war going on. Has anybody ever felt that way? We all feel this way. You know why? 
because you're human. <laughs> this is what it is to be human. And remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing. This is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He is the greatest missionary to ever live. He laid down his life for Christ, and yet in this moment of tremendous transparency and self-awareness, he just admits, he's like, I, I just don't understand myself. I look in the mirror, and I'm like, who is this guy? The stuff that I do, I know it hurts me. It hurts God. It hurts the people I love. It steals my joy. It robs my purpose for living, but I can't seem to change it no matter how hard I try. I think we can, if we're honest, we can all relate on some level. You know, in the movie A Star is Born, Jackson's addiction first appears when he meets Allie in a bar, and they actually connect over drinks on an emotional level. Check it out. Can I ask you a personal question? Uh, sure. <laughs> Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Thank you. Why? I just, I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Um, well, because, like, almost every single person that I've come in contact with in the music industry has told me that my nose is too big and that I won't make it. Your nose is too big. Yeah. Your nose is beautiful. Are you showing me your nose right now? Yeah. You don't have to show it to me. I've been looking at it all night. Oh, come on. Can I touch your nose? Oh, my gosh. Let me just touch <laughs> it for a second. Lucky. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not really. That my nose has not made me lucky. I could have had it maybe a hit song if it wasn't for my nose. That's yeah, no, it's not because you know, you go into these rooms and there's all these men in there and they're just staring at you, listening to your record, going, Oh, you sound great, but you know, you don't look so great. You know, I had a thing when I was little. I was born with this thing in my ear, couldn't hear. What do I wind up being a singer? So you never know. Look, talent comes everywhere. Everybody's talented, but you, everybody in this bar is talented in one thing or another. But having something to say and a way to say it so people listen to it, that's a whole other bag. And unless you get out there and you try to do it, you'll never know. That's just the truth. If there's one reason we're supposed to be here is to say something so people want to hear it. Don't you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Yeah, I do. I don't like it, but I understand. Oh, I think you like it a little bit. I think I'm getting through a little bit. I can see it. I think you can't. It's a good thing we met. It's a good thing we met. Well, we'll see about that. You know, here's the truth. We all have these stereotypes about what an addict is, right? An addict is like, you know, a raging, drooling, you know, fall-down drunk, but that's not the truth. The reality is many addicts are quite charming. Uh, in fact, when in high-functioning, when Jack meets Allie, he actually speaks into her insecurities about her looks, and he says, I, I love your big nose. And later on, he actually draws out her heart, helps her discover her voice as an artist. See, addictions are very easy to mask because they come in all shapes and sizes. Again, we think, you know, addict, you know, it's someone who's totally just fall down, they've lost their life savings or on gambling or illicit sex or something. But I would just, I would submit to you that an addiction is anything that you're doing that you don't want to do because you know it hurts you or it hurts somebody you love or it hurts God, but you can't stop doing it. In other words, you come to depend upon it. 
That's the power behind alcohol, actually. Uh, it actually removes a lot of emotional inhibitions. Like, we all know somebody who's actually more fun and charming to be around after they've had a few drinks. So I just want to take the stigma out of this here, because I, I, here's what I find in church. I find, particularly with Christians, it's very easy to be judgmental about somebody else's addiction, right? Like, dude, bro, you need to clean up your act, bro. You know, he's, he's an addict, man. He's, he's got issues. What about you? Well, you know, I got, I got, I got a little problem. I got a problem. It's a few problems, okay? It's not an issue. <laughs> that we rationalize this in the church, right? We say, well, look, I, I don't do crack. I'm, I'm just on Facebook eight hours a day, okay? Just kind of, you know, right? And any social media addicts, okay? All right, you exercise your thumbs scrolling through your feed, okay? On the gram, I got, I got two screenagers, okay? <laughs> But don't tell, don't tell anyone daddy's an addict too, okay? What we do is we tend to amplify other people's addictions but minimize our own. I've had actually Christians come up to me and say, well, you know, Tim, you know, look, this, just be real. At least I'm not, you know, sleeping around. I'm faithful to my spouse. I just look at a little porn now and then. What's the big deal? Um, the big deal is this. Porn is now a $97 billion a year industry. That is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined, all right? You think Americans have a problem with porn? One-third, 35% of every downloads on the internet is pornography. Last year, we watched 5.5 billion hours of porn on the web, and the average age of a child's first exposure is now nine, nine years old, okay? And it's devastating, because it is, is rewiring the brains of an entire generation of boys and girls and making the likelihood of a healthy sexual relationship later in life much harder. In fact, a few weeks ago, a man came up at the service, great brother in Christ, he loves Jesus, and he was just in tears because his, his addiction to porn was wrecking his marriage. When his wife discovered it, you know, on his phone, laptop, she was upset. He instantly, you know, was remorseful. He vowed to quit. He's like, Tim, I couldn't. I, I just got sucked. I went right back to it. And he's like, I've got little kids. He says, I feel like a hypocrite. I want to stop for my wife, for my kids. I, I want to be pure for God, but I can't. That's addiction. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 7. I want you to listen to this paraphrase from the Living Bible. Paul says, My behavior baffles me, <laughs> for I find myself doing what I really hate and not doing what I really want to do. In fact, I often find that I have the desire to do good, but what? Not the power. Underline that, not the power. Paul says, I don't accomplish the good I set out to do, and the evil I don't really want to do that's the stuff I'm always doing. <laughs> Again, no judgment, because if we're honest, we all have our issues, right? It's just that some addictions are more socially acceptable than others. You know, I know for some of you, like if you get sad or you're depressed, it's like going shopping, man. <laughs> Hit the mall for a little retail therapy. I know you'd never do that, <coughs> Pastor Kyra. Uh, but they're just, uh, <laughs> how about workaholism, okay? That's something I struggle with from time to time. I can, like, get tunnel vision and, like, being at the office and I get stuff done. And, and, and there's many of us who, like, you know, actually enjoy being at the office more than being at home. Because, like, at the office, they listen to what I say. But at home, it's like, you know, come on. Or video games, okay? We, again, I joke about screenagers, millennials, Gen Z, highly addictive video games. Any parents here where you're, like, constantly trying to hide the controllers, you know? And then your husband finds them. Then he's back on, you know, all that. <laughs> So the topic touches all of us, that's all I'm saying. Even me, your pastor, there's just habits I have that I'd like to change, but I can't get the 
seem to muster up the willpower to break them. I, I relate to Paul here in Romans 7. So here's what Paul says. Here's what I find. Here's the law at work. This is the principle. Throw it up there on the screen. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, that's in my heart, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. And it's what? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now these are dramatic words, right? Paul's like waging war. It's why we say, oh, she's battling an addiction, right? In other words, the struggle is real. But notice something, what the Bible says. This may be a new thought for you. The struggle and addiction is not out there. It's not about your behavior. Paul says the battle is in here. He says, for in my inner being, that is, at the level of my heart, there is this war being waged back and forth. I want to do what's right, but there's a tug of war between that and temptation. In fact, it's in, in a waging war in my mind, so there's a mental component to it. He says, it makes me a prisoner. What's a, what's a prisoner? A prisoner is somebody who's trapped. You're locked up. You can't get out. An addiction is anything that enslaves you. Uh, look, it's, again, even good things, okay? I know when some of you get, you know, sad or depressed, right? Maybe you go home, kind of like, I, I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, Netflix. <laughs> and you watch one show, and you're like, just one show, or maybe two shows, maybe three. Six hours later, <laughs> you've been watching a whole season, right? Or, or sports, uh, going to the gym. Even, watch this, even healthy things can enslave us if we're not careful. Because it becomes all-consuming. I can't stop which makes Paul cry. I just love this honesty, verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Do you want to know what the Greek says? What a train wreck I am. <laughs> I'm a train wreck, man. Okay, I don't understand it. Who will rescue me from this body, this flesh, that's subject to death? I'm miserable, Paul says. I want to stop. It's killing me. Is there any hope? Church, I came here to tell you the answer is 100% yes. With Jesus Christ, there is always hope. Amen? You're never too far gone. But here is the secret in verse 25. I want to read this out loud, big loud voice, all of our campuses. We'll put it up on the screen. Paul writes, there we go. Thanks be to who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, I want to talk to you. I think God sent me to deliver to you a word of hope today. Because if you're struggling or somebody you love is struggling, you are not hopeless. Healing is absolutely 100% possible. But here's a secret. It doesn't come through more willpower. I'm not going to tell you, try harder. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's not a Tony Robbins seminar, okay? Only Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, has divine power to demolish strongholds. That's what addiction is. He can set you free, but first you got to be honest about your need for help. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of show you the, the anatomy of addiction, what God says is actually behind this internal struggle that we all have, because I think before you can fix something, you got to expose it. So I'm going to use the movie A Star is Born to illustrate this, but if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three fill-in-the-blanks right here you can put in your, your app there. The cycle of addiction really has three steps. What we found is addiction often begins with an injury. That is, something hurts us. It causes pain. And one of the ways of avoiding pain is by medicating. In other words, we want to numb out. I don't want to feel that anymore. Now watch what happens. What that link leads to is idolatry. It may be like, idolatry? Yeah. We take something, a gift from God that God intended for good, and we put it in place of God. That is, instead of turning to Christ for help, we turn to our idol. That could be food, that could be sex, that could be alcohol. Whatever the addiction is, we just feed it. 
until finally, this is the cruelest of all, it becomes our identity. It doesn't just control you, now it starts to define you. And this is a direct assault on who God created you to be as his child. You were created for freedom, not slavery. And the, 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 the promise of the Bible is Christ came to set the captives free, amen? So understand this, the Holy Spirit can give you supernatural power to overcome anything, but I want to look at these three links in the cycle of addiction, starting with injury. And a star is born, it's interesting, one of the backstories is the secret of why Jack drinks so much, and it's not what you think, right? Most of us think, well, he's a rock star, isn't that like the job of rock stars? You know, they just kind of party and drink and all that, that's a stereotype. But in a very touching scene, Jack reveals what fuels his drinking is an injury he sustained in childhood. Not a physical injury, but an emotional one. Watch this. Nobody ever asks you about you, huh? Not sure. Where are you from? Arizona. Arizona boy. Mm-hmm. Dad had like a midlife crisis, I think. So I've been told. Made his way to Arizona, started working for uh, his family on a pecan ranch. A pecan ranch? Yeah. Knocked up the family's daughter. She was just shy of 18. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's when I came into the picture. Okay, the yeah. son of an 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, she died at childbirth. And my dad... I'm um, sorry. He, uh... He died when I was 13, so I guess my brother would tell you that he raised me, but uh, I don't know who was raising who. Just 127 acres of nuts, Navajo, and nowhere to go. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. It's pretty good. I don't know if you caught what he said there. Kind of mumbles through most of the movie, you know. <laughs> it's okay. I just won't take a note to look at you. <laughs> but, it, but in that scene, Jack gives us these clues about his chaotic childhood. His mother died in childbirth. His father died when he was 13 years old of alcoholism. And so he was left to actually be raised by his brother. So you had a boy raising a boy. And that childhood injury, the loss of both parents, brought extraordinary pain to his early childhood. The truth is the vast majority of addictions begin as a response to pain. It could be physical, emotional, relational. I had a friend of mine uh, who uh, kind of raced ATVs, and uh, one summer he actually fell off. He was in his 20s, fell off, broke his back, and started taking Vicodin, a uh, painkiller was prescribed to him, and took months to heal. He was actually out of work for a long time. And during that rehab process, as his back was healing, he actually became hooked on Oxycontin, okay? And eventually, his back fully healed, but when his prescription ran out, he moved on to heroin. Because heroin is a lot easier to get in New Jersey. And so heroin, of course, when you, you take it, it blocks the, the receptors in your brain, and there's this rush of dopamine, and all of a sudden, your whole body is flooded with this extreme euphoria or feeling of happiness. In other words, no more pain. 
That, that's what's fueling the opioid epidemic that's ravaging New Jersey in, in, in the country. Addiction is all about pain avoidance. I don't want to feel that. So understand, sometimes injury is physical, sometimes it can be emotional. I actually met a woman at one of our campuses who told me, she said, my food, she's morbidly obese, and she said, Tim, I have a food addiction, and it started when I was in my teens and my parents split up, because my family was kind of coming apart, and she said that my, my weight gain, really what, what started it, she goes, I can go back, my parents' divorce. It was so painful, she said, I just found comfort in food. That's why we call it comfort food. When, when she overate, it just made her feel better. So, so you got this? Emotional injury leads to a physical food addiction. And friends, this is why, understand, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to have compassion, not judgment, for folks who struggle. Amen? Not because there isn't, but because they're human, and they have a heart, a heart that's often hurting. It's in pain. It's been injured in some way. And what they're temporarily using to kind of numb that pain eventually becomes, watch, a wound that hurts them even more gravely. It's one of the enemy's cruelest schemes. In the movie A Star is Born, the romance between Jack and Allie blossoms the first time they, they have a duet on stage together. Jack takes those lyrics she wrote in the parking lot and writes this song um, called The Shallows, right, which is it's beautiful, it's haunting, very tender. But don't miss the lyrics. They're very significant. Allie sings, he says, tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? You know, Blaise Pascal said there is a, a God-shaped hole in the human heart. And we spend our life trying to fill that void with, with relationship, uh, love, sex. It could be fame, money, whatever your, your addiction is. And she says, or do you need more? Ain't it hard? Keeping it so hardcore, living the way you are. And the duet is performed by, by these talented people. These are beautiful people, but they're also very broken in many places. And behind the scenes, Ali sees the ugly truth. That Jack is not an American idol. He's an American addict tell me something boy aren't you tired trying to fill that void or do you need more ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore i'm falling in all the good times i find Myself longing for change, and in the bad times, I fear myself. I'm of the deep, I watch as I dive in. I'll never be the ground. a bit much. Sweetie, you have no idea. Trash to the surface. 
<laughs> Welcome to my shower. This is how that rolls, right? Where they can't hurt us, we're far from the shallows now. It's a mistake to assume that people who struggle with addiction are not capable of being highly functioning. In fact, many are functioning alcoholics or drug users who actually perform fine in front of others, but behind the scenes, those who know them well know they can't function without their next fix, their next drink, their next hit, their next, their next tap, their next click. It's tragic because as they medicate their injury, it turns into idolatry. Now, what's idolatry? Some of you are like, I, like idol worship? What are you, like, you talking like tiki dolls? What is, what's idolatry? Idolatry is actually the number one sin in the Bible. And you may be like, what, what do idols have to do with this? In the Old Testament, when the original commandments God said, he said, I'm the Lord, and you shall have no other gods before me, small g gods. And he says to his people, he says, don't make yourself an idol. Don't bow down to it. Don't worship anything other than me. So idol worship is like a big deal in the Bible. And we think, well, what does that have to do with, you know, modern times? I, I don't worship my, you know, my screens or my jewel or whatever destructive habit you have. The idea behind biblical idolatry is that we take something good, created by God to bless us, to serve us, and we turn it, the created thing, into God, and now we serve it. Right? So, so we become its slave. We actually worship it. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Here's how he describes it. He says, what happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. Have you ever met people who are like extremely talented, but they're like illiterate to life? They Because why? They traded, Paul says, the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for what? Cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. He's talking about idols here. He's like, there's fake gods, imitation gods. And so here's what happened, he says. So God said, in effect, that's what you want. That's what you get. Here's the result. Paul says, it wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the false God they made instead of the God who made them. That's idolatry. It's when you trade the true, authentic, life-giving God for a fake God who promises you everything that God rightfully will give you. Peace, security, love, healing. But actually, your false God, watch this, delivers the opposite because he cro always crosses a line. For instance, give you a practical example. Food. Food is a gift, yes? Amen? We need food to nourish our bodies. But when you start using food, not to nourish your body, but to deal with your stress, when you start drowning your loneliness in a pint of, you know, Ben and Jerry's, we cross the line. Because, you know, binge eating and, you know, a finger down the throat, suddenly a blessing meant to nourish our body ends up destroying our body. You get it? You cross the line. Medicine. Medicine is a gift from God, right? But when we come to rely on our meds, you say, you know, I need my pills. I can't function without them. It crosses a line. It becomes an idol. At first, we use the pills to control the pain, but now the pills control us. You get it? The Bible actually says wine is a gift. It gladdens the heart in Psalm 104. But when one glass becomes two glasses, three, four, the whole bottle, we cross the line. It becomes an idol. An idol is anything that you put on the throne of your heart. I can't live without this thing. It's what I look to for comfort and peace and my very practical salvation. So understand, 
This is different than what the world says. Again, you'll hear some things, and genetics are part of addiction, all that. I'm talking about the spiritual part. Addiction, according to the Bible, is a worship disorder. It's about your heart. Paul says there's this war going on inside the throne of your heart, and because the idol wants to take the place of Jesus, the true God, who says, I can give you lasting peace and love and security and healing. But that's the trap of idolatry, because what you think will make your life better now ends up bottoming it out. In A Star is Born, Jack hits rock bottom at the Grammy Awards show. And Allie, his wife now, is she's nominated for Best New Artist. In other words, her star is born. But when she takes the stage that night, her husband Jack is worshiping Jack Daniels. And what's supposed to be a night of celebration turns into a night of shame. Where are we going? Oh my gosh, thank you. You beautiful, thank you. Oh wow. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm holding one of these. Thank you too. Rez Gavra, my manager, thank you for believing in me and telling win? me to get back from behind the piano did and onto win? the stage. Did you just win? Thank you to my, my, uh, to Jack Maine, my husband. Did I, come I love up you there? so much. I always wanted to be a singer on a big stage, and because of him, I am. We're having a lot of fun tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... <laughs> if see, I haven't thanked you yet, just... You just see you're up there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I started oh out God, singing God. with this beautiful man, and I'll sing with him for life. Oh, right, baby? Yeah. <laughs> good. I'm so blessed to be in the company of such oh. wonderful musicians. This is a dream come true, and all I can say is believe in yourself and don't give up because there is a spot on that stage oh. for you. Oh, that's a good man. Okay. Okay. Okay, okay. Baby, just turn. Oh. I think it. Baby, can, can, can you think this bad? Just follow me. Go inside, okay? It's on the left, Dad. I got it. Go inside. Remember in the movie theater, people actually gasped because of the, the shock, the shame, the disgrace to his marriage, to his family. Again, addiction, sin, messes up everything. If you have someone in your family, if you have a child who's in the throes of addiction or a parent who struggles, you know it's devastating. Just when you think like you can't get any lower... You bottom out because that's how idols work. And eventually that idol becomes, watch this, the cruelest part, your identity. Eventually you think it's hopeless, nothing will change, and it comes to define you. You begin to believe addiction is who you are at your core. I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm a pothead. I'm a, I'm a porn addict. You know, I just, I, now I want to be, by the way, just time out. I want to be very sensitive here. I have huge respect for 12-step recovery programs. 
They, they're an important tool in God's journey to healing for many people. We have many people who are walking in recovery programs or walking in sobriety. We have a lot of success stories, and they, they're vital in helping overcome an addiction. My only little beef with it, like spiritually, is that some programs make you stand up and say, hi, my name is Tim, and I'm an addict. You know, I think that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe, that your addiction is your identity. I'm, 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 a, I'm an addict. I'm sorry. That is not who you are in Jesus Christ. I, I, it's not. You just need to hear this. I understand it's, it's an important part of the recovery process because it's just, I get what's behind it. You're, it's admitting you're powerless when you're battling addiction. I understand that. Vital. But the Bible says these things, these small G gods, they don't define you. Your addiction is not the truest thing about you. You are not an alcoholic. You are a son or daughter of the Most High King who happens to struggle with alcohol. And, and listen, let's be honest. You may battle that the rest of your life until you meet Jesus. But now the Bible says you have a new power that makes you more than a conqueror in Christ. See, and, and this is the turning point. In Romans 7, Paul lays out kind of the causes, the consequences of addiction, but now he turns to the cure in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7. Remember how Paul ends Romans 7? He's like, what a train wreck I am. <laughs> who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God, say it together, who delivers me. Deliverance is possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice his answer is not a pill. His answer is not a program. His answer is not a prescription. His answer is a person. It's Jesus Christ and his spirit working inside of you supernaturally. Guys, this is the hopeful part. Romans 8 is the antidote to Romans 7. How do you break the cycle addiction and live free as a follower of Christ? Here's what Paul writes. This is so powerful. This is like one of my favorite verses. He says, let's read it together. Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation. Say it one more time. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what no condemnation means? It means God doesn't judge you anymore for all the crap you've done, <laughs> all the messes you've made, all the ways you've screwed up and failed because Jesus Christ took all of your judgment on the cross. God doesn't judge you anymore. He doesn't get angry when you sin because Jesus paid your debt. He took your rap. He did your time. He mopped up your mess. And so God says, here's the amazing news. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything I'm about to say, by the way, applies to Christians, people who are in Christ Jesus. They've made Christ sit on the throne of my heart, be my Lord and Savior. If you have made that decision, this does not apply to you, okay? But if you've received Christ in your life through faith, there is no condemnation. That means even when you trip, you fail again, you embarrass yourself, you make a spectacular mess, God doesn't get mad at you. He's not condemning you. Now notice something, especially new Christians. The Bible never says, Paul never writes, once you become a Christian, you will never sin again. Wouldn't that be nice, <laughs> okay? The reality is you're still gonna sin. That's the old nature. What the Bible calls your flesh will always tempt you. So guaranteed, you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna trip up, but here's the difference. You're under no condemnation now. It means you don't have to carry around the guilt you don't have to carry around the shame. You don't have to hide the truth of what you're struggling with. No condemnation empowers you to admit the truth. You actually can, it says the truth, you'll know the truth and truth will what? Set you free. But first it'll make you miserable <laughs> because now I got to deal with the pain. But you, it's a first step. You got to get it out in the open to ask for help. And too often I find the church, people are ashamed of their addictions. 
They believe the lie that will be, I'll be judged for this. It's who I am. And you know what that lie is like? It's like black mold. You leave it in the darkness, what does black mold do? It just spreads everywhere. And I think Satan would love nothing more than for you to keep your secret addiction in here, out of the light of Christ, so that you get weighed down and spend your life carrying around this false guilt and shame and don't let the light of Jesus Christ in. Because the devil knows that's where the power is. Look at Romans 8 here. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is powerful. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has what? Three words. Set you free. Say it again. Set you free from the law of sin and death. What's that mean? It means when you have Jesus on the throne of your heart, you now have a new power in your life that is greater than willpower. See, before you become a Christian, all you got at your disposal is like your willpower, okay? Anybody going to diet? This is the year I'm going to, how long did that last? How's that going for you? Not very. Paul says there is a new power in you, the power of the Holy Spirit. The tragedy is that a lot of Christians don't plug into that power. It's like their power cord, the plug is disconnected. And that's why we stay stuck in these self-destructive habits that rob us of our potential in Christ. But Paul says when you plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, here's where true change comes from. This is, so, this is why. It's, this is not a magic wand. Now all of a sudden you're free. There's a difference. Because it's not your behavior that starts changing. It's your heart that changes. God changes you, not from the outside in, but the inside out. He actually says, I'm going to give you a heart transplant. Your desires are going to change. Your, your attitude is going to change. Your motives is going to change because suddenly this inner man starts changing and guess what happens? The outer behavior follows. See, the world wants to change you from the outside in. Let's treat the surface symptoms. If you take this, maybe you won't do that as much. Try a program. Just change the behavior. The Holy Spirit changes the heart. Jesus goes from the inside out and he's like, I'm going to bend that, that frame back into shape. And I'm going to break that cycle of guilt and shame and self-loathing. So although you will still struggle outwardly, you'll always have your flesh until you meet Jesus. You've got a new spirit on the inside. And when you confess that, when you ask Christ to take it, guess what? You are dethroning your addiction. And you're putting Jesus Christ back on the throne where he belongs. You say, I'm no longer mastered and dominated by my flesh. Christ calls the shots now. Romans 8 says this. I just love this message paraphrase. It says, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant, but in his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. It says Jesus was tempted in every way that you are. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Church, hear me. Jesus didn't die just to forgive you. He was raised to set you free. Say amen if you believe it. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. In other words, you don't have to be a slave any longer. Christ can actually break chains of addiction and give you a new power for living. Right, right now, you are sitting in this crowd. Just to let you know who like, you're sitting next to in your row, okay? If you knew like, they're, like, who they've been in the past, you'd be like holding on to your wallet, okay? <laughs> we got hundreds of people here Former addicts who were, who were addicted to drugs or pot or they were enslaved to, to lust or gluttony or greed or gambling. But the difference is they got the secret. They didn't fight the battle in their own strength. They waged war with the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are struggling, don't you dare make peace with your sin. That's what the enemy wants you to do. 
make you feel hopeless. I just got to accept it. I'm not going to change. I don't ever want to hear you say the lie and, 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 and agree in your mind. Say, you know what? Well, of course I struggle with porn, you know? My, like my dad had, a, he had an eye for the ladies, you know? My grandfather was a womanizer, just runs in the family. I guess it's just, that's just who I am. No. That is not who you are in Christ. You are not an addict. You are a blood-bought child of God, and he is your father. And he sent Jesus to set you free. The Bible says in Christ, you're more than a conqueror. So don't ever say addiction just runs in our family. You know, it's in our blood. I, I, I get angry all the time. I blow up. You know, I got that hot Latino blood in me. No, 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 no. Guess what? When you become a Christian, you get a spiritual blood transfusion. You now got the blood of Jesus Christ coursing through your veins. And God's your father, and he doesn't want his kid to be a slave any longer. Amen? Give him a praise. You got to admit the truth. Oh, I'm preaching now. I'm pre get ready. Recovery's possible. It is. It is a long road, but we have seen Christ set hundreds of people free in our church. In A Star is Born, after the, uh, the Grammy incident, Jack actually goes to rehab to get sober, and he admits the truth. And when his wife goes to see him, he actually takes ownership of his addiction. And understand, confession and repentance are always the first step to healing and freedom. Check it out. Oh. <laughs> you smell good. <laughs> you smell good. And you look good, too. Swimming, I've been swimming. You've been swimming? Yeah, it's a pool. I love that you're swimming. Yeah. It's a great pool there. Yeah. How's Charlie? Oh, Charlie's sweet. He just sort of sits, like, by the door, like, Waiting for daddy. We're both waiting for daddy. Listen, uh, I'm, uh... I'm sorry, uh... It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, it's not your fault. I'm sorry I did that. It's okay. It's not your fault, it's a disease. No, but I embarrassed you. I embarrassed you in that. I'm not embarrassed of you. It was so wrong. And then you, and then you're dead. My father loves you. It's okay. I know, but I. It's I, okay. I know, but. Repentance is always the first step towards freedom. It is very hard. It's what make you go back to being an addict because like I don't want to feel that. It's even more painful now to admit what's become in my life. But understand what this is. This is called godly remorse. It's not false guilt. It's godly guilt for how we've allowed an idol to dominate our life. And when you admit the truth to yourself, you admit the truth to God, 
You admit the truth to those you love, it's the first step towards the journey in freedom. You know, those of you who've seen A Star is Born, you know, the movie does not end with hope. But I was like, I don't care, I'm gonna end the message with hope. <laughs> Especially if you're here today and you're struggling or someone you love is. So I wanna give you two practical steps to end with to take. These are very practical in, in dealing with addiction. And the, the second step I would say is after admitting the truth, you need to ask for help. And there's a few ways you can do that. Ask us for help to help you connect you with a rehab program. Inpatient recovery programs are vital in our church. We can help you find one where you live. Uh, quick story, um, this summer after service, I was approached by a, a young guy and I hadn't seen him like in a couple months. I was like, bro, where you been, man? And he said, hey, come over here. And I said, what's, what's going on? And he just kind of looked down. He felt like sort of embarrassed. And he's just like, I've actually been in rehab. Um, he's in his 20s, he's got multiple kids, and he says, you know, I drank a lot in college, but then it was like a little bit, and, but now with the stress of the kids, it was just more and more, and it was getting, it was, it was bad, and my wife was scared, and, and I, I voluntarily stepped away from my family, but I am 70 days sober now. First off, can we praise God for those of you who are walking in sobriety? That's incredible. And I was like, bro, that's I like gave him the biggest bear hug. I'm like, bro, that is incredible. Guys, do you understand the courage that that takes? I mean, I want you to listen to this. His decision to enter rehab now as a young father will change the legacy of future generations. His kids are little and he said, I'm not gonna wait till they get older and watch their dad spend a decade just kind of disappearing in a bottle. I'm not gonna pass that story on to them. I'm gonna write a new script. I'm going to get sober for them, for my wife. I'm leaning on the power of Christ to set me free. Guys, that's a real man. That's leadership, okay? So get help through rehab if you're struggling. And then also, those of you who love somebody who's struggling, you need to get help through counseling. At Liquid, we recommend professional Christian counseling. Again, we have referral lists at every campus. We can refer you to one in your area in addition to treatment. Because I think a gifted counselor can help get at some of those deeper heart issues so you can heal not just your body, not just your mind, but the hooks out of your heart. And we encourage counseling for those of you who have an addict in your family. Uh, if you uh, have a child, for instance, who's struggling, parents, I always say you got to get counseling together because parents need to be united. You need to be healthy yourselves. You need to be strong. You need to work through your own issues. Let's face it, we all got issues, right? So that you don't get sucked into the web of lies that they will tell you and try to manipulate you. So rehab counseling, and then finally, uh, you may want to join an addiction support group that we have at our church. We actually have three addiction support groups that are going on right now. But if you just go to our website, liquidchurch.com support groups, we will help connect you to one at your campus. So don't be shy. Ask for help. And then finally, I'll end with this. Allow others to pray with you. Let us, your church family, come around you and pray for you today, okay? Because addiction can be overwhelming. And you, you just hear my heart as a lead pastor. You hear me. There is no stigma in this church if you have an addiction. We have no judgment for you. You know why? Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My, my conviction is that the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners like me, okay? So it means you haven't blown it forever. You are not too far gone. We are here to help you. So if God's been talking to you today, maybe this Spirit's like been convicting you of a, a stronghold in your life. I want you to come forward. In the next couple minutes, as the service ends, we want to pray for you. And I want to invite our prayer teams to come forward to all our campuses right now. Uh, if you are uh, on our prayer team, they've been praying already for you. They've been trained. We really believe in the power of this verse in James. Here's the promise from God to you. James 5 says this. 
Confess your sins to who? To each other and pray for each other so that what? God can heal you. So if you want to be forgiven, you confess it to God. But if you want to be healed, God says you also need to confess it to another person. And that's why we pray at the end of every single service. You got to confess. You got to say, here's what I'm struggling with. It's too, I, I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with food. I'm struggling with the secret addiction. Guys, our prayer leaders at every campus, they've been trained. They have 100% confidential. And understand, nothing you tell us is going to shock us. Okay? We've heard everything. And this church is a judgment-free zone. We want to we help plug you into God's power. You got to plug in that new power source. So if God's been speaking to you, come forward for prayer after I finish in a minute. This could be a life-changing moment for you. Let's do this. All our campuses, would you stand right now to your feet? Stand on up. And can we just put our hands out? Just That's a, a symbol of asking from God. We need to receive something. Father, we're opening our hands because we need you. God, I need you. Father God, my flesh is too strong at times for me. I just confess it, God. I need a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, Father God. And so we thank you. Let's just take a moment. Let's just ask God to scrub out the inside. Just pray out loud with me. Just say, Father, forgive me for the idols in my life. I turn from them now. Forgive my sin. Jesus, sit on the throne. Fill my heart with the Holy Spirit. I give my life to you. Do a work of freedom in me, God, so that Jesus gets glory. Father, as we come forward for prayer, I pray this would be the beginning of freedom for some families, that there would be works of deliverance in the lives of people who are in bondage. Even the little things, Father, that we know got some hooks in us, Father God, you can do a great work. And so I pray you do it now. It will be done in the name and power of Jesus. And all God's people said together, amen. Let's give God a praise.